if you have your Bibles, grab those. John chapter 1, John chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you have our app, you can follow along there. There'll be uh, some notes and different things uh, there for you to kind of show you where we'll be, uh, scriptures and stuff if you want to follow along. So uh, John chapter uh, 1. And so last week we were in our second week of our series for this time of year called The Light Has Come. And um, we just continued by looking at the Christmas story from a different angle. So what we're doing is we're just walking through John chapter 1 uh, and looking at it maybe from a different perspective than what we're normally used to looking at the Christmas story. And so as we walked through uh, last week, um, we just we saw in John 1, 9 through 14, and we just talked about how the light being Jesus, and Jesus is that light, and he shines to show us the way to God, that his whole purpose of coming is showing us uh, that God loves us, that God cares for us, and so he comes and he is born uh, perfect. Everything that we've seen this morning, everything that we've sung this morning is so true about who he is and his mission and his purpose. And we talked in depth last week about how it's only through a supernatural birth that we can even enter into relationship with God. And how that happens as a result of Jesus coming, he makes a way for us to be born again. And so all of that was last week, and we're just going to continue working through John chapter 1. So if you miss that or need to catch up, you can uh, catch that on our website or see it on our app, um, things like that. But I'm going to ask you if you'd join us as we pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll get ready to jump into John uh, chapter 1 uh, and verse uh, 14. Father, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, and we praise you again for this morning, this opportunity. Uh, God, to hear your word proclaimed, this opportunity got to worship through song, uh, to reflect back to you how much we appreciate, how much we love, how much we value, how much we desire you. And so, Father, I pray this morning in this place that you are well pleased with everything that's been said, everything that's been done, everything that has even been sung in this place, Father, would be for your glory and for your honor. And so, Father, help orient our heart all the more around the truth of what this time of the year is. And, and God, may, may we remember that we don't just celebrate this once a year, Father, but we live in the reality that you were born a little babe and grew to be a strong man who died on a cross for our sin. Perfect life you lived, sinless. And so, Father, this morning, just stir in our hearts a greater devotion, a greater love, a greater longing for you as a result of your word. Holy Spirit, fall heavy upon this place and do a work. I beg of you. And, Father, I pray that you would start with the man that stands on the stage. Father, I pray that you would just work in a mighty way in my heart to draw me all the closer. Father, the same thing I pray for the men and women in this room, for those who are tuning in online. Father, that you would draw all the closer to you. And we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so if you take a look at, for a moment, my firstborn son, you will very quickly know who his daddy is. Um, there has been people who have visited... Um, and in visiting, just a few weeks in, we get to talking to him and see him in the hallway and stuff like that. And we're like, uh, we know who your son is. I'm like, you, and that always scares the dad. And especially if you're a preacher dad, like that scares you to death. Because, I mean, he's only, he's going to be nine. So he's, he's eight right now, going to be nine. And so that, that's, I'm like, oh, how do you know? Oh, well, look at his hair. Just look at him. You can see. And, and so, so I've had conversations with people and things like that. And if you don't know, I'll just show you real quick. And he was, he's in here this morning. But there he is. Good looking kid. Maybe this will help. That's like a prison shot, isn't it? I'm like, boy, get up against the wall. I'm going to take your picture. He's like, what for, Dad? I was like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm so sorry. But if it, maybe this will help. Uh, he's going to be a good-looking dude one day, isn't he? It, it was funny. It was probably a few months back. I, um, I go walking back to the youth room, and as I do, they're getting ready for their service. And um, a guy goes, and I had my glasses on that day, and he goes, 
oh my gosh. I said, what, 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 what is it? He's like, that's what Brody's going to look like in 20 years. <laughs> and so, so if, if you look at him real quick, like you, you, can, see, you can see real fast who, who that is, right? I mean, if, I mean he's got the, the hair, great hair for a kid. I mean, good smile. I mean, if, and, if you, and if, you, if you know him at all in any depth, like his little personality, I mean, he's got kind of that laid back, just like goofball, like fun, loving personality. Got a big heart, loves hard, very gracious. I mean, just, just if you look at him and if you spend any time around him, I just feel like you, you'd say, man, that, I can tell. I can, and there's nothing that I've done. That's just, that's just his makeup. That's just who he is. That's the way that God's created him and fashioned him and formed him and has put certain things in him. Now, the hair, that's all us. But, but everything else, it's just kind of been like God infused in him, created in him, made in him. And, and, and it's funny because there's times wherever he'll do something and Meredith will just be like, oh, my gosh, his poor wife one day. I said, she's going to be a lucky girl, isn't she? She just shakes her head. But, but, like, there's little things in him that you can see, little things that he does, little mannerisms. Like, just in a moment's notice, he'll bust out into song or do, like, some, like, little weird twitch thing and let out a weird sound. And that's, I say all that because that, that's so me. Like, I, that is, I, that, that's me. And I don't know what it is. There's just a lot of pent-up energy. We got a lot of energy, don't we? We just love life. And so a lot of pent-up energy, a lot of stuff in us. And so I just, I just want to show you this morning that Jesus is like that with God. Only he is God. Brody's not Scott. Brody is Brody, and God has created him and made him in a certain way, and he's going to grow up to be the person that God's created him to be. But in Jesus, Jesus is the perfect representation of what God's like, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that this morning. We're going to, we're going to notice that throughout the scriptures, that, that Jesus is God. He's not just a little reflection, but he is God. And I just want to show you that, that, that Jesus is the glory of God. In the way that he is the perfect representation of what God is like. I mean, think about that for a moment. That God came in a way that, that no one would have ever thought possible. As he comes and as he's here and he wraps himself in flesh and blood. I mean, it blows my mind. I mean, I mean as, as we just sung a holy night, as, I, as, as, as we sung about his face beaming and glowing. Can you imagine, like to put yourself in the story for just a moment... I mean, go back to that creative, creative thought of, of just being there whenever Jesus is born. Can you imagine what everybody thought? What Mary and Joseph? I would even venture to say that those animals there acted a little different. Being in the presence of a holy God in the form of flesh and blood. I mean, I can't even imagine I mean, what that would have been like as he wraps himself in flesh and blood. And he makes his great plan known of, of love and rescue possible. And so this idea that, that God would go to such a great length, such a great depth of becoming human himself in order to do what? To save an undeserving people. It just blows my mind that he would do that. And it almost sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? It almost sounds a little too good to be true, but that's not the case because it is true. And it's what we know and what we hold to and what we cling to as the gospel of Jesus coming and taking on flesh and blood for us. So John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. We're just going to just dive in and just dissect uh, this verse this morning and look at it uh, in depth. Uh, so John 1, 14 says this. It says, and the Word. The Word is who? The Word is God. The Word is Jesus. It became flesh. That's the God-man. Jesus is the God-man. And now hear the full force of what's happening here, just even in verse 14. Here's the very beginning. Hear the full force of that. And to do that, we've got to go back to John 1.1. 1, 1. We looked at it a few weeks ago, and this is what John 1.1 1, 1 says. 
It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word's God, the Word was with God. And so if the Word was God and the Word became flesh, then God becomes flesh, does he not? That's what that scripture is teaching us, that God becomes human, that he dwells among his people in the form of a man, that he takes on flesh and blood just like us, that Jesus Christ was human and Jesus Christ was God. And that differentiates him amongst, uh, uh, sets him apart from any other person ever born on planet earth distinguishes him and sets him apart as different than anybody else that will ever be born, has been, or will in the future. That he is, the, is God in the flesh. So what that lets us know is this, is in this simple verse, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, that he has always been. That, that though Jesus was created and he started in a moment here on planet earth in the form of a babe, that Jesus has always been there. He's in, been in the midst of everything, in the creation, and in, in everything that's taken place on planet Earth, in our lives, even in this day. In the days past and in the days to come, he will be there working and willing in the midst of a people. So there's never been a time when Jesus wasn't. There's never been a time when Jesus wasn't. He was present in the very beginning, and he will be with us today. Just wrap your heart around that for a moment. That, that he cares enough about us, that he loves us enough, that he's going to do what? That he's going to come to us. When we can't get to him, he does what? He comes to us in the form of a human, in the form of flesh and blood, in the form of a baby. That's what our God does. There is great, great hope in that church. There is great, great promise in that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we see this word dwelt here in the original language, it brings about this thought of setting up a tent. It brings about this thought of, of pitching a tent and, and, and making a residence there. And it made me think, that okay, well, well tent, tents are what? Tents are temporary. Like, you don't want to just live in a tent uh, long term, but that's going to be temporary. But when I did more research and I really started to dive in and to dig in and to kind of figure out what's going on and, and looked at other uh, occurrences in the New Testament, I found that it doesn't imply a temporary status. When we see this word dwell and we think tent, it's not temporary. L- listen to Revelation 21.3. Just hear the eternal implications of this dwelling. Hear the eternal weight of what's happening when we talk about dwell, when we talk about this tent mentality. And so what's going to happen here in Revelation 21, uh, verse 3, you're going to see the eternal new heavens and new earth, and they're being described. And this is what John pens in 21.3. He says, behold, the dwelling, behold, the tent is what he's saying. The the dwelling, the same word that we see here in John 1.14. Behold, the dwelling, this tent of God is with men. So so this is about the, the, the new heavens and the new earth being created where we'll spend eternity with God, with Jesus the dwelling of God is with men. That tent is with men. And he will dwell. He's going to pitch his tent with them. And they shall be his people. So this whole thought of pitching a tent, this whole thought of putting up a tent, is not temporary. It's eternal. And we see that, we see that kind of language in the book of Revelation. As, as Jesus, as God creates that eternal place for us for, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with him. This new heaven and this new earth. And so what's being described there in Revelation 3 is not just a temporary dwelling, but a, an eternal dwelling. Not just for a moment, he's going to pitch his tent, and he's going to be there with us for a moment, and then he's going to go, and then he's never going to see him again. But no, it's an eternal dwelling. He will, we will be with him. 
So back to 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so I just believe that this pitching a tent with, with us, it just points to the fact that God wants to be intimate with us. That God wants to be relational with us. That God wants to be on terms of being known. That God desires to be known. And he wants to be known amongst the people. A rebellious people. That's who he wants to be known. He comes and he rescues and he redeems and he saves. And he pitches his tent and he stays and he dwells with us amongst us. He is there in the middle of us. He wants to be close. He wants lots of interaction. That's what God longs for. That's what God wants. Interaction. And so let's just imagine for a moment you come to him and say, Hey, Scott. Scott, I, I need to put a tent up in your backyard. And my answer to that is always yes. Like, I don't know why I'm just created and wired that way. I don't, like, like, the more people, the better, right? It's a party. The Miller house is always open. And so you come to me and say, hey, I, I, wanna, I need to put my tent up in your backyard. And I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to ask you for how long because it really it doesn't matter to me. But in that, I'm going to assume there's going to be some things that's going to have to happen. So you come and you, you put up your tent in my backyard. And as you come and you're, you're putting it up and you're there, I, like, I realize that there's going to be some things that's going to need to take place. Like, like you're going to have to have somewhere to go to the bathroom. It's against subdivision policy, the tree under, over there. Like that's, you don't do that. I'll get kicked out and then I'll be having to find a tent to pitch somewhere too. So I assume that you're going to have to use the restroom. Okay, cool. I would also assume that there are probably things that you need to get, like you need a refrigerator. You have to put some groceries in the refrigerator. You're going to take a shower, so the bathroom. I mean, more. I mean, there's all kinds of things that's going to have to happen. That's going to have to take place. If you come to my house and you need to do that, you're going to be at my table often eating. I would assume. And so I just believe this is why God became human. He came and he pitched his tent in this fallen world in the backyards of created man so that we would have a lot of dwelling with him. So that we would have a lot of interaction with him. So that we would have a lot of time spent with him. And church, I think the thing that blows my mind is how readily available he is and how lackadaisical and nonchalant we are in that regard. To think that the creator of the universe has created and he desires relationship. He desires time spent with us. And how, how nonchalant we are about that. I mean, how often we dwell with so much other stuff. I mean, how often other things takes our attention and our priority and our time and our devotion and our love and our longing away from him. And we dwell in the midst of that. When the creator of the universe has pitched his tent in our backyard and he wants to spend time with us. He wants to be near us. He wants to be with us. He wants to walk relationally with us. That's what this means. That's what we see when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus pitches his tent amongst men and women and he wants to be in the midst of us, with us, relationally connected and walking. That's what happens when heaven invades earth in the form of a baby. He says, I just want to be with you. Man, I'm about to create and make a way for you, and I want to be in the middle of all that you are. So the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And we, and so those in this day that we're reading about here in John 1, as well as I believe in our day, and we'll look, about, look at the we here in a few minutes, the today here in a few minutes, and we have seen his. Who's his? His is the word. It's Jesus. What have we seen? We've seen his glory. So what happens is in Jesus we see God. Jesus is the very glory of God. 
You want to see what God is like? Look to Jesus. Do you want to know what God's heart and nature and character is like? Look to Jesus. That's where it's found. You want to see what what God is like? Always, always, always go back and look at Jesus because Jesus is God. His glory is made known in Jesus. And so what is glory? Glory is transcendent beauty and radiance and the radiance of God. It's a beauty being made known, transcendent from God himself. It's his nature, it's his character, it's his actions. It's his very heart. And so my question is, how do we see the glory of God if we've never seen Jesus? Great question. I'm glad you asked because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 answers that. It says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. It says, in their case, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, in their case, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? That's Satan. That's the devil, right? He's real. He is alive. He is moving. He is trying to, to do some things in this world. We talked about that last week. So in their case, the God of this world, what has he done? He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So last week we looked at that. The scripture teaches that Satan does what? He disguises himself. He doesn't show his cards. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. That's who he is. And just remember that there's this battle going on. That there is a physical, even, I would even say it right now, this morning, in this place, in this time, as the word of God is proclaimed, there is a battle taking place right now that we are not even aware of. I mean, how quick and how easy is it for our attention to go, man, 1035, I could, I could do lunch now. Skip breakfast. Or, oh, man, last night, my team. Or, oh, like this thing that I like to do that I can't wait to get home to do later. Or, oh, I mean, I mean, how quick is it that our attention just drifts? And how easily have we made it to where we just can't be attentive? That we just can't be present in a moment for any length of time? I mean, that's the world we're living in now, right? Like, like we're just, I mean, fast food is not fast enough. I mean, sweet mercy, I've been sitting here for two and a half minutes and I haven't got my burger yet? What's the deal? And then when the poor little waitress comes, it has nothing to do with it. Well, we, we just go crazy on her, don't we? Oh, there's a fast food joint. Well, sir, it's a semi-fast. Well, you're not semi-fast enough? I mean, we just, we just, we can't be present in a moment. But I believe that that's just a part of the, the enemy's schemes, that he is working to, to draw us away, to get our attention off of what's important. Because there's a battle, there's spiritual warfare that takes place in realms that we're not even aware of. And so maybe that's some explaining, maybe that can explain some things for us. Like, has anybody ever been praying for somebody and in praying that God would save them? It's like just over and over and over. And God's just not, it doesn't seem like God's working. It doesn't seem like God's moving. And I would say, no, he, he's working. He's moving. We just got to understand that what's happening here is that we live in a world uh, uh, where the God of this world is saying, what has he done? He's blinded, blinded people. He's blinded them. When we share the gospel with somebody, when we live out what Jesus is like with somebody, we're like, why, why, won't, why won't they get it? Why won't they understand it? Why won't they see it? It's, it's this, this verse right here. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's what he's done. That's what Satan does. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. He's a, he's a blinder. And then he goes on, Paul goes on here to tell us why Satan does this blinding. He says, to keep them from seeing what? He, he doesn't want them to see. That's why you blind somebody. 
That, that's why you cover their eyes. Like if, if you play that game like hide and seek and you, you have to cover the kid's eyes, it's counting to go find and seek the person that's hiding because they'll cheat. They're cheaters. Satan's a cheater and he wants to blind them to keep them from seeing. Seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's what Satan's doing. See, we see Jesus' we see God's glory in the gospel, the very narrated story, the story that we have that we know of the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And Satan doesn't want us to hear that. Satan doesn't want us living that out. He wants to blind the eyes. He wants to blind the mind. That's what he wants to do. And so the first way that we see the glory of God is Jesus in the scriptures. That's how we see it. That's how it, that's how it works for us today. Is, is through God's word. His infallible and errant perfect word. He is revealed and he is made known and he is shown to be true. And the light shines and we see it for who he is. The very son of God lives a perfect life. And then I believe the second way that, that we see that is through representatives of Jesus in this world. Through us. Those of us who have taken on the name of Christ, who have believed, who have been born again, who have come to faith, that we have the great privilege of showing the lost world what Jesus is like. So, so, so the lost world gets to see Jesus in the scriptures, which they probably don't want much, much of. But then the next way that God uses and God shows the glory of his son, shows what he's like in his son, is, is through us. So when we're saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit lives within us. So we get Jesus in us is what we get. And then we have the great privilege and honor of showing this word of what Jesus is like. Showing and pointing to who Jesus Christ is and what he is like. In church, we do that in the way that we talk. We do that in the way that we act. We do that in the way that we react. We do that in the way that we parent the way that we discipline, the way that we have fun, the way that we conduct business, the way that we uh, uh, respond to our teachers in school, and you name it, we have the great privilege and the great honor of showing this world of what Jesus is like. And I think the sad reality is this statistic would show why most people want nothing to do with Jesus is because of the people who take his name. The people who claim to be his. And hear me, I'm, I'm, we're not going to live it perfect. We're not going to knock it out of the park every time. That's not what I'm saying. One of the greatest things that we can do as believers when we fail, not, not if we fail, but when, because we're going to fail, we're going to mess up, we're going to blow it, that when we do, we own it. I mean, what does the world do? The world tries to smooth it over. The world tries to sweep it under the rug. The world tries to, to, to cast blame on everything else. The environment that I've come from, the, the this that I learned when I was young, the, the whatever the case is. And Jesus says that we're without excuse, all of us. I don't care what mom and dad was like back when. And I'm not negating that there's, there's weight and there's depth and there's some, some heavy stuff that we have to navigate through sometimes from, from family stuff. But what I'm saying is that Jesus has come to make us whole, to make us better, to make us well. And, and so when we mess up, we're going to. We own that. Like, we own that. We claim that. And then we make right. That's what the world doesn't do. That's what lost men doesn't do. They blame everybody else. They, 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 they cast blame everywhere else. This environment, that environment, those people, this group, that whatever. But church, we have the great privilege of being and showing this world of what Jesus is like. 
Like I can remember whenever God started to kind of move in my heart and uh, was taking me from student ministry into uh, uh, to, to be, be called to be a pastor. And, and, and I, just, I just want to say this, as if being a student pastor isn't a pastor. Uh, you've been in it, you know. Well, when are you going to be a big preacher? I mean, like, like I, was, I was 27, 30 years old in student ministry. When am I going to be? What's that mean? And I just want to debunk that junk because, I mean, that, that's, that's, don't, ever, don't, don't ever say that. Because has God not called you to shepherd and lead? And he's done the same thing to me. And just because the group of people that I get to shepherd and lead is different than the group of people that you get to shepherd and lead doesn't negate the fact that God has called us. So, so don't, don't ever buy into that junk. You hear me? And don't ever be the people that says that kind of junk either. That, that just that blows my mind. Okay, that was a side note. I'm back. Um, that was for free, as they say. So I can just remember whenever I felt that call, and, and it's like, okay, man, God's doing something weird. I don't know what this is. Um, and, and so he's calling me to, to, to pastor it, and as he does that, I can, I can remember having a conversation with somebody, and they said, why would you ever want to do that? And I'm like, well, why would you ever want to be a pastor? <laughs> I'm like, I already am. Yeah, but I mean, I mean like, like, this is different. I'm like, okay, indulge me for a moment. Like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to live your life in a fishbowl? Everybody dissecting, everybody watching what you do, everybody watching how you act and react, every, everybody's just aware of and seeing and, and doing all of that. So why would you want to live your life in a fishbowl? And church, I'm just here to tell you, whether you realize this or not, whether you're a pastor or whether you work a nine-to-five or, or whether you volunteer somewhere or whether you're retired, regardless of what you do, if you take the name of Christ, you live in a fishbowl. Regardless of your involvement in the church. Now, I get that I get it harder than anybody else, and I'm fine with that, whatever. I'm, because, because the standard that I try to live up to, and whatever you could bring to me, trust me, I am much harder on myself because, because the Lord is much, much harder on me. And, and so he convicts and he draws, and I get that. But the reality is this. Anybody who takes the name of Christ is living in a fishbowl. Why? Because the world despises Jesus, and they want to do everything they can to debunk him and, and negate who we are and what we're doing. And they want, to, they want to throw it in our face. They want to say, see, look at what you did. Look at what you said. Look at how you lived. Look at how you responded. We all are living as followers of Jesus in that fishbowl. Every single one of us, as we take the name of Christ, as we live out. So regardless of what your position is in the church, regardless of who you lead and who you shepherd. I mean, that's the whole point of baptism, isn't it? I mean, here at the first of the year, we've got three kids that are going to be baptized. And we're going to celebrate like crazy what God has done in their life. And, and that's what I tell them every time. To try to explain to children what baptism is. Uh, I say, you, know, you know this doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. What baptism does is identifies you. It, it makes known to this world who you belong to. Where your allegiance lies. Who, who you're claiming to follow. So once you're born again, once you come to faith in Jesus, the next step of obedience is to be baptized. And as you're baptized, it's almost like, okay, now I'm putting the shirt on to show people that I belong to Jesus. I want everybody to know. That's what baptism is. I want everybody to know to, who, to whom I belong. Who the Lord of my life is. That's what baptism is. That's what we're to be, church, as believers, as followers of Jesus. We're going to be looked at. We're going to be torn apart. We're going to be dissected. All of those things. And do you know what I say? I say, bring it on. Because I've got Jesus in my corner who's already doing it far worse than what anybody else in this world can do to me. The Holy Spirit convicting and drawing. He set the standard of holiness. 
And he loves me. He loves me so much that he's not just going to let me wander and do whatever I want to do. That he's a good father. And as a good father, he's going to discipline. He's going to encourage. He's going to draw. And he's going to point out those things that I do. Which, do you realize it's probably the majority of the stuff that we do that is sinful, wicked behavior the world never sees? Why? Because it's internal? I mean, our thought life, church, have you ever thought about that? Like, we think sin is just the stuff that gets out. No, no, sin doesn't even have to get out. There's internal sin. There's internal struggle that we battle with. And that is just as sinful as the external actions sometimes. And the crazy thing is, is the God of the universe is aware of that. I mean, you see it all over in the scriptures, do you not? Jesus has conversations with people, and as he's having conversations with people, the guy in the corner thinks something, and he turns and he answers the thought. If he's doing that then, can you imagine what he's doing now? That he is well aware of our thoughts and the internal things that happen in our heart. So the reality is this, we all live in a, we all live in a fishbowl. We're all going to be judged and tore apart by this world. And that's why I say it's so important for us to own it. Because we're going to mess up, and when we mess up, we own it, and we repent. We, we repent, and we run back to Jesus, and we beg him to break our heart and to help us to do better. And do you, do you know what about him? He's going to do that. He's going to direct, and he's going to do that. So, so, so back, to, back to where we were at this morning, and Paul finishes here in 2 Corinthians by saying this in 4.4. He says this, he says, who is the image of God talking about Jesus? Satan keeps, keeps this world from seeing who Jesus truly is. And who is Jesus? There he does it. He says it again. The image of God. Jesus is God. The perfect representation of who God is. Because he is God. That's what Satan's trying to do is to blind the world. So, so we've got to shine. Church, we've got to show the world who Jesus is and what he's like. That's what we have to do. So to back to John 1.14, it says this as we start to wind down. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. So Jesus is the perfect image of God. Jesus is God's glory. Verse 14, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. He's full of grace and truth. And thank God that He is, because what's grace? Grace is God's favor toward unworthy. That's what grace is. It's, it's unmerited favor toward fallen man. That, that God shows us favor when there's nothing in us that warrants it. I mean, think about that for a moment. What do we deserve, right? And we're a very, we're a very entitled people. We live in a very entitled world. Man, because I was born or because I live here, or because I've got that last name or because I, I do this or because I... Like, we just feel entitled, That's the very heart of this world. That's what Satan has done. He has blinded the eyes of men, right? And so grace is unmerited favor. That's what we get. And so what we deserve, we don't get is what grace is. Because we deserve everything but grace, right? That, that's what we deserve. Everything but grace. And for whatever reason, God doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, what does he do? He sends his son in the form of a baby who will grow to be a man and will make his way to the cross to get the just wrath of God that we rightfully deserve. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus coming and being born and taking for us a punishment that we rightfully deserve. And there is unmerited favor in our God. Nothing in us warrants it. Not because you're special, not because uh, you're, you're over five foot tall, not because you're this or because you're that or because you're super, super smart and you do really good at math. Or because uh, there, there is nothing in you that God says, ah, I've got to have him on my team. 
it's actually the quite opposite. Because they're broken, because they're busted up, because they're fallen, because they're wicked, because they're this, because they're not good at that, because they're not that, or they, they can't seem to get this together. But that's who I want, and that's who he goes after. Not the ones that think that they've got it together and got a package good, nice, and neat, and can figure things out, but the ones who understand that they can't. And so Jesus shows us unmerited favor. And so it says that he is grace and truth. Truth is just ultimate reality. And, and there's ultimate truth. We, we can know truth today. I know that this world says no, that we can't. That whatever's true for you may not be true for somebody else. Or whatever feels good for you may, may not feel good for somebody else. And so you just do you and you just believe what you need to believe. And, and, and hear me, that, that's ridiculous. That is crazy. Because the word of God says no, that he's the way, the what, the truth and the life. That's who Jesus is. There, there is absolute truth, and we can know that, and it's found in the Word of God. You watch stuff, and you're flooded with stuff on, on, on media and on the TV and everywhere else that's telling us and telling us and telling us and falsifying things. And so the way that we know truth is we look to Jesus because Jesus lived out truth. Jesus is truth. And I know that that's hard to believe when everything is constantly moving in this world. And it's hard to believe what's true and what's not true. But church, hear me. Jesus is unchanging. The word of God is unchanging. I mean, you can go back and you can look. And, and the principles and the things that have been said in the word of God still ring true today. Very re the most relevant book we'll ever read is the word of God. That's where truth is found. But God's glory is full of truth. And it's the true and the right that has been given to us in his perfect infallible word and it never changes. And his word became flesh. His word, that's Jesus. And he dwelt among us. Why? Because he wanted to tabernacle. He wanted to tent. He wanted to be in the midst of his people. Making a way for them, showing them, dwelling with, being relational and intentional with. So as Eric comes back up, what we see is that the light becomes flesh and dwells among us. And it has put off this glow, this reflection of what God's glory is like. And that light is full of grace and that light is full of truth. And we can know God and we can see his glory. How? By knowing Jesus, God's only son. That's how we know. That's what we celebrate this time of year. Not presents, not a jolly old man in a red suit that brings us stuff, but rather a baby born of God who will give us the best gift of all. His life as a ransom for many. That's what we celebrate. So my question for, for you this morning is this. Have you seen and experienced the glory of God? And he has, has he invaded? And has he spoken to your heart? And has he allowed you to actually hear and see and not be blinded by the king of this world? But to truly know who Jesus is and what he has done? Has he called you to himself? wooed you and, and, and set up his tent just to, because that's the great thing about it is he sets up his tent want to come after us because we're not going to go after him. He said he comes after us. And so have you seen that great light? Have you experienced the glory of God? And the last question I ask you is this, are you showing this dark world what the glory of God is like by shining like Jesus? By shining like Jesus. And do you reflect? Because that's what we're called to do, church. We're called to show this world what Jesus is like. As I don't know about you, but this whole fishbowl thought and this, all that, that stuff, what scares me more than anything is this, is that, there, that there's going to be times in my life where I don't reflect like Jesus would want me to reflect. 
when I go to that store, when I say that thing, when I act a fool, when I do whatever I do sometimes, and get fleshy or get worldly, and that inner struggle comes out. And those people that I'm interacting with or those people that see from a distance that I'm unaware of, when they see that, they'll say, ah, that's what Jesus is like. I don't want anything to do with him. That's what keeps me up at night. That's what wrecks me. It's to think that something that I do could deter somebody from wanting to know Jesus. When what the gospel has set, what Jesus has, recall, uh, has called for us to do is the opposite, is to draw man. Is to draw man to him. How does he do that? He uses us. And so, have you done that? Are you showing this dark world what the glory of God is like by shining like Jesus? And if you answer no to either of those questions this morning, my question for you is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because if you belong to Jesus, he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He's not just going to leave you where he found you. But he's going to pull you along and he's going to convict you and he's going to make you miserable and he's going to do all of these things to get you back on track. Why? Because he cares for us and he's got a mission and a purpose for us. Because he's dwelling amongst the people through the Holy Spirit and through us. And we've got the great privilege and honor this time of year. While the world is more aware than they ever are. While the world is ready to celebrate more than they ever are. While the world is looking for something more than they ever are. We have the great opportunity and privilege to show exactly who Jesus is. So may we do that. Father, help us this morning. God, thank you for setting the standard. Thank you for sending your son to take up residence with us, to live amongst us, to show us your glory, to show us your truth. Father, thank you so much for that. God, help us be that in this world. Help us to take and to show and to represent well who you are. And God, when we blow it, that we own it and we repent and we make right whatever it is that we've wronged. Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I praise you. Jesus, I pray that you move in this place this morning. God, save the lost. Help the struggling. Encourage the hearts that need it. In your name we pray. Amen. You stand. Eric's going to lead us this morning in a song. This altar's open. If you need to come pray, if you need somebody to talk to, I'll be here. But you respond as God puts on your heart.